Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. My name is Marissa Lodanik. Thanks so much for tuning in again this week. We're back. We've had round two. Unfortunately, we had our first kind of COVID scare with one of the fixtures being cancelled, but there's still lots for us to talk about too. Oh, yeah, true. Two fixtures got canned and they rescheduled. Yes, there's been two COVID time, not real, everything is fake. But no, we've unfortunately had to deal with some COVID stuff, but there was still plenty of action for us to crack into. So me, Money Vinyl and Anna Harrington will take you through the round that was. Before we get into the chat, we do want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. But It was a big round of footy, like I said, even though we were down two fixtures. We had the birth of a new cup. We had some fabulous, like, games, goals, all of the above. So let's talk a little bit about who impressed us to start things off. So, Marnie, who impressed you this weekend? I'm going to start with Ash Woodland from the Crows. She's a young one, has eight goals from the first two rounds. She's four goals above the nearest contender on the current leaderboard. I don't think that she barely got a mention in season predictions, if any, when we're talking about leading goal scorers. And uh, she's proving us all wrong. And she's so composed. She makes it look so easy. And she's slotting into an already very experienced, very exciting team to watch in the Crows. She's amazing. Talking about other young ones, Charlie Rowbottom for the Suns, so dominant around stoppages. So really shaking up that midfield, Alyssa Bannon for Melbourne Demons. Contender for goal of the year when she gets on the Jets. There's no stopping her. She's literally unchaseable. It's so exciting. You can see that athletics background come through. Just the young ones. I think that's what impressed me the most, all the young ones. Yeah, Marnie, it's when you see the defender, um, can't remember what it was, chasing Bannon, and they literally can't get over. They just about fall over. That's when you know that someone has just turned on the Jets to another level. Um, I love all those shouts. I um, was really impressed, um, and it's been a long – they've been a good player for a very long time. But Britt Benici um, with Collingwood obviously had a tough week after losing Bree Davey to an ACL. They then, before the bounce, um, had uh, fellow co-captain Steph Kiochi uh, be a late withdrawal through uh, Achilles tightness. And so they had three co-captains, Ruby Slater, um, Britt Benici and Stacey Livingston. And they all stepped up, but no one more than Benici, who was just an absolute force to be reckoned with in midfield. Racked up the ball at will. Clearance machine was tackling harder than just about anyone. I think it was 10, 10 tackles and six clearances. It was just just ruthless and well supported by Jamie Lambert. Um just uh, one gun player out and another one steps up for Collingwood. They would have been wrapped. And for Britt Benici, who before she was drafted, had such a rough run with concussions and thought maybe she wasn't going to be able to play. She's just got better and better every year and um, genuine gun midfielder now. She was absolutely so impressive. The The thing that impressed me this weekend was just the final quarter between the Eagles and the Suns. It was absolutely incredible. I have to admit in you know the sake of transparency transparency the eagles kicked three i thought that's them one and done i changed 
the channel because there's lots of sport on at the moment and I live to regret that decision. So I made sure to go back and watch the full final quarter to watch the Suns eventually come out on top. Just incredible, tightly contested, so many goals. The likes of Tara Bahana, Katie Sermon for the Suns were just incredible and the kind of will and fight to get themselves not only back into that game but into a winning position was just absolutely incredible. So a huge win for the Suns. It was their first in I think it was 600 and something days, which is unbelievable. I think we flagged in our preview pod whether or not the Suns would win a game. They have. They've got that monkey off the back and what a fashion to do it in. It was absolutely incredible. I think it was their highest win in club history for the women's and it was their coaches, Cam Joyce's first lot of four points. So one for the history books for the Suns. We love it. Absolutely. There was a lot we liked to see from that game, but let's quickly run through the rounds results. So we had once again, Richmond kicking uh, things off on a Friday night, but unfortunately they could not compete with the D's. They lost by 16 points. The Pies were too strong for the Saints with a 27-point win. Carlton beat Geelong in the inaugural Prosparcus Cup by 14 points. As I just talked about, Gold Coast beat West Coast by 13 points in the end. Adelaide defeated North Melbourne by 13 points. And Frio were big winners over the Giants with a margin of 32 points. So lots of interesting games in and among there. Let's start off with the Prosparcus Cup because it was a a big deal when the uh, fixture originally came out. There was no Prosparcus Cup scheduled, but thanks, well, not thanks to, but due to the COVID situation and the fixture changing, we then had Geelong taking on Carlton and we had the two sisters coming up against each other. Anna, some thoughts? Well, before we start this discussion, can we just establish... One prosparcus, two prosparci. That that is correct. I don't think that's it's the correct any, terminology. The, there's no complaints from anyone on this pod. Prosparcuses is just too not, not nice in the mouth. It doesn't have good mouth feel. Right. Especially once you get people start putting apostrophes in unnecessarily. No dramas with that when you say prosparci. I'm happy happy with this. We it was important to settle early. I'm glad we Marnie actually didn't get the tick of agreement for you there. Are you happy with prosparci? Oh, I'm absolutely happy with Prosparci. Yeah. I just, yeah. I can't imagine myself going Prosparcuses without just really No, One Prosparcus, two Prosparci. Nice. And the Prosparcus Cup. Won by Maddie on this occasion. Money, I'm interested in your, in your thoughts on this first up because, geez, it, it lived up to its billing as the Prosparcus Cup, didn't it? <laughs> Maddie yeah, cleared it was- best on ground, Georgie right up there as well. It was a very hyped game and I was a little bit worried that it would be a bit, you know, it was a lot of like fluffiness um, with this whole kind of cup and that's what the AFLW does really well. We love storylines. We love leaning into family affairs. We love leaning into, you know, good spirited rivalries, but it also just lived up to that hype because it was a stellar game. It was so highly contested with Maddie and Georgie. That matchup in the middle was so impressive. I think Maddie got 29 possessions and Georgie got 15 disposals. So not bad. And they didn't go easy on each other. Georgie was taken off for the blood rule after tackling Maddie. So, you know, that's some, that's some tough, tough footy. I also do want to mention uh, Meg McDonald and Darcy Vessio as another key matchup of that game. I think it got a little bit lost in the Prosparcus Cup chat, but that matchup 
was incredible. Darcy Vessio didn't get a single goal that game because Meg McDonald barely let them stake a claim on that ball. It was such good. It was just good footy. These are two players that are so experienced. We've seen them since the beginning of the league and to see them play on each other like that was so exciting. Former housemates as well, aren't they? I think well, the current were... housemates. Or current housemates, yeah. I think so. It was mentioned a lot in the commentary. It was, it was just, <laughs> it was all these two are housemates and it's a sister act and bragging rights, which Maddie got. What were your thoughts on it? You know, I really loved the the full-blown commitment to Nuffcraft of getting a, a trophy made for like for the a literal Presparcus Cup. Like people go, what does the AFLW bring? So many good things. Top tier Nuffcraft has to be right up there. Um, I love that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed actually, we got the stats through from from Champion Data, like looking at the Presparcus um, pair and they're pretty stunning. Um, so Maddie was obviously number one for disposals on the ground. Georgie equal third. Meters gained. Maddie was second. Georgie was fourth. Um, Georgie had 11 contested possessions, more than anyone else on the ground. Um, they both had three clearances um, about where Maddie stood out. And it was a, a note that our guys at, at Champion Data really noted was um, the, the sort of handball receives and uncontested possessions is something Maddie, I guess, has under her belt already, being a more experienced player. It's like Georgie will learn more because you, you really crack in early as a young player, but you learn the running patterns. You learn where to go to get the ball. And I thought that was quite interesting. And, yeah, statistically, it just it just backs it up that these are two sensational players and we know obviously Matty broke through to win a league best and fairest um so young as well like it's 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 so exciting and it, it really just does emphasize the and when you look at the bigger picture the benefits of players coming through that have played footy throughout their whole sort of junior junior careers like it's not about specializing because um we know that players can do really well by playing multiple sports but the difference now compared to maybe some of the stars of, I don't want to say yesteryear because <laughs> a few years, but a lot of players had to stop. We know this from 13, 14 through to maybe 18, 19, 20, 21, depending on when they picked up a footy again. Crucial development years, um, both physically and in terms of football. And you're now starting to see players um, like the Prisparka, I like, um, mentioned Charlie Robottom before, that it, have just been not too far from a footy their whole lives. And it, and it makes such a difference. And that's where this acceleration, um, you don't want to bang on about how much the competition's improving, but that, that is where it's coming from. You're seeing real footy heads that have actually been enabled to play. And I think that that sort of came to the fore when you when you look at these sisters and I guess the star factor they bring, it's, it's super exciting. Um, but yeah, on a, like a ladder perspective, important win for Carlton, like to just put last week sort of behind them, their last match behind them and really sort of grit it out and go down the highway, which is, I know Geelong haven't been, you know, fantastic form-wise previously, but they took it up to North Melbourne. So for Carlton to go down there at relatively late notice, considering the whole COVID situation and, and grind out a win, you'd have to think they'd be pretty, pretty wrapped with. I think just kind of stepping or jumping back a little bit, your point about the kind of the players that have been allowed to play footy uninterrupted from Auskick. It's such an interesting dynamic in the women's game because it's not 
ridiculous to maybe compare an 18-year-old and a 28-year-old because on the balance of things, the 18-year-old's probably played a bit more footy than the 28-year-old because of circumstances out of the 28-year-old's control. So it's such an interesting dynamic and dynamic, and it's just something that I think we're going to continue to see kind of evolve and those players that are coming into the competition they don't need long to find their feet and that's really exciting and very useful considering how short the season is but we're not going to get into that particular topic of conversation right now the the game also opened up a kind of topic of conversation that I wanted to start about how important it is to have good goal kickers and multiple goal kickers. So we kind of flagged in our preview episode that Geelong, we thought that they had a pretty decent defensive setup. As you mentioned, Marnie, Meg McDonald was excellent against Darcy Vessio, but is excellent against most of the Fords in the league. They've got a really kind of solid midfield. We talked about that one-two punch of a Prasparkas and a Nina Morrison. It's in the forward line where things kind of start to crumble. They've got Phoebe McWilliams, who is excellent, but can't shoulder that burden alone I think Rachel Kearns kind of popped up as maybe an answer to that she was so exciting she played she played the game like she was on two times speed she was just full throttle into everything everywhere a real energizer bunny but the problem for Geelong was that they just didn't have anyone else to kind of convert their inside 50s into actual scoreboard pressure so we asked the good folks at Champion Data to kind of elaborate on this point. And the two teams that we kind of flagged preseason as maybe having issues in the forward line were the Giants and the Cats, where they had that one key player up forward, but then there was no real supporting cast around them compared to someone like Afrio, who's had Ebony Antonio kicking for fun, Gemma Horton kicking, you know, absolute bags and stuff. Um. And uh, a Melbourne, for example, as well, we spoke a little bit about Alyssa Bannon and her two goals. Kate Hall was excellent on the weekend as well with two goals. So just the the teams that are able to translate their inside 50s into actual scoreboard pressure in such a short season, it's so massively important. And the champion data stats really do kind of add up in terms of teams that score per inside 50s like percentage wise it's Collingwood and Melbourne who across the two games score after 50 percent of their inside 50s which is a pretty decent return and then you look kind of down the bottom end of that table you do have folks like the Cats the Eagles the Roos St Kilda so it's just a really it's something we flagged I suppose pre-season that has really kind of come to the fore even though we've got a very small sample size it really has kind of revealed itself to be an issue that some clubs do need to kind of fix up but I don't know if it's something that they can kind of fix in season now so interested if you guys have any thoughts on kind of the forward line some of the other forward lines that impressed this weekend and like what's what's happening there I do think that it's the forward lines that are really setting teams apart at the moment when the uh, Melbourne Richmond game I think one of the key things that set the two teams apart was that Melbourne could find players inside the 50 and then those players could convert to goals where Richmond were unable to find players as easily in the forward line. So therefore they didn't get goals, they didn't get the win. And as you just mentioned, the top two teams there were what Melbourne Collingwood and their flag favourites, 
They've got so much depth across the board, but it's depth in their forward line, especially Collingwood. I mean, they had Chloe Malloy out. You wouldn't have even noticed that they were missing one of their stars by watching them. Uh, amazing across their forward line. They just, they're just they just so strong and so tall. Um, yeah, incredible. I like that, um, what you say about um, Melbourne. Like, you just look at that spread of goal kickers as well, like Kate Hoare. Bannon, Taylor Harris, and then you see players like Paxman kicking one from the midfield. Um, Pierce, Daisy Pierce, that shift forward is, um, has been something that's paid dividends at times as well. And we saw it with Richmond actually first up, where they um, they got a lot out of sharing the goals around between um, Brennan, Bernardi, and Courtney Wake, Courtney Wakefield. That that worked really well for them. Multiple um, multiple goal kickers is really important. I think another thing that sort of ties into this. And it was really interesting. Um, it's an interview SEN did with Karen Harrington. No relation. Great name, though. Um, this week, she obviously had a stellar game against Geelong, 23 disposals at 100% efficiency. And she made a really interesting point talking about the way that the game is going now, that you're seeing less focus on territory and pure sort of contested possession. And now you're starting to see teams more trying to hit the short 45 kicks, um, you know, sort of have possession and then and then slingshot forward, which I think is a real development in the game. And it's that sort of uncontested, you know, mark kick style that probably Hawthorne really, you know, did in the men's game like years ago when they were so successful. And it was interesting seeing a clip, not to go back to Prasparka chat, where they talked about contested work. And we see one example of Georgie doing some sort of brute contested work. And then the next clip is one of Maddie. And you see her get the ball and spin away and sort of wheel and hit the short 45 kick. And that's where you're seeing those really good players come to the fore. And the reason I go off on this tangent is because I think the teams that are being really fluid with their ball movement and working out how to use the space best, especially with 16 players on the field, are the ones that are getting these really good forward entries. And so much of defence is also, it's not just the pure spoils or trying to take contested marks. It's if you te- If the opponent does get shots on goal, they're in difficult spots, out wide, too far out, hard to score. But teams that have really good ball movement and really clever ball movement, um, and clearly it's something that Carlton would have been happy that they were able to do on the weekend, they're able to create those chances. And obviously, if you're Melbourne, for example, you've got really good ball users in the midfield. You've got really clever forwards who are athletic or can take a good contested mark if you're Taylor Harris or if you're Kate Hall has a really good combination of smarts and athleticism and prowess around goal. You just the percentages are going to fall in your favour, right? And that's one of the things that we have seen change a lot in AFLW. It's gone from being a purely sort of hotly contested game to you're really starting to see different game styles evolve. And that that is one thing that comes with time and players playing together more often and more pre-seasons together and less fluctuation. Hopefully it's not affected when we see expansion kick in and hurt sort of those lists again. But it is something that is developing. Um, so I think that's probably what is tying into this as well. Like, Because you can have fantastic forwards, but it's creating the opportunities. And that comes from both the forwards working and the midfielders and halfbacks, et cetera, who are getting those forward 50 entries that that can kind of be a difference. And when you look at, look at Collingwood, what they were able to create with um, Frederick presenting so well, creating opportunities for Sheridan to to snaffle some goals or 
they just get their really deep forward 50 entries as well or put things to really dangerous areas. And that's what makes a difference. Melbourne, very efficient. And yeah, I think I think that's that ties into it as well. The last thing that I will say about forwards and kicking is some more accuracy will just lift the game of so many of these sides. If Frio can just kick a little bit more accurately, if Melbourne can just kick a bit more accurately, that'll be top sides, unbeatable. Absolutely. And it's just, I think it's a really important point that we do kind of recognise the evolution of the game because we do, we are watching still a very young competition despite the kind of history that the women's footy kind of has in this country. We are still kind of watching top tier in its infancy. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it continues to evolve and grow and develop. Another kind of talking point that we had, you kind of started uh, touching on it, Marnie, was about the kind of depth of some of these top sides and just how much that is going to help them as this season progresses. We also spoke a little bit about it last week in terms of COVID and what kind of effects that will have on sides and if they are able to plug gaps that maybe COVID creates, if they've got enough depth they're gonna make it through this season so do you want to talk to us a little bit more about the depth that you saw on display this weekend yeah absolutely I think what's setting top teams apart from the ones just below on the cusp for me is that depth you know with Collingwood having miss missing both their co-captains having missing Malloy you didn't even really notice it you didn't feel it the amount of depth that they had to coverage and the opportunities that they also gave for other players to show their own star power was really important, but they were just as dominant as ever. Whereas with North, when they were missing Carney last week, it was really felt. And you could see the difference between the whole sides game between last round and this round with their skipper missing and then back this round. And to me, North are just on the cusp of being one of those top tier sides, which is to me, the demons, Collingwood, Crows, it's hard to say with Lions because they didn't have a cracker of a first round and we haven't seen them due to having to miss that game. But I do just want to mention Lions because I don't want to leave them out. So it's these it's these sides that have quality players, but even when these quality players go down for whatever reason, whether it's a weak injury, whether it's a longer injury, there's other players to cover it. And you don't feel that absence as much. I mean, you look anywhere on a Melbourne side and you're spotting a star or a star rising wherever on the field. And so if one of them does get injured or gets COVID or gets a close contact, whatever reason, I still have faith that the Demons will be able to compete and to have that same competitiveness, whereas I don't feel the same with other teams like North. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Seems to be... A discussion, especially after round one, but also after round two, that is something that teams are going to have to juggle and learn to deal with, as we've seen in other sports. The difficulty here, obviously, and this is interesting, something else that um, Harrington talked about on this was the demands for AFLW increasing, but the support, I guess, isn't necessarily in terms of, when I say support, I'm not saying the clubs aren't being supportive. I'm saying in terms of, she said most players are doing something else as well as footy. She works 20 hours a week as a physio as well as captaining an AFLW club, right? So they don't have that level of support to be full-time athletes and also juggle this. And because if they, if they get COVID, yeah, they're out for one week, but they've 
they'll be missing work, they'll be doing these things. So there's that additional stress factor that is is coming into all of this. And we know how many how many different issues there are around it not being a full-time league. We talked about this with the ACL situation last week. But all that said, it is going to be the teams that learn to, to juggle their ins and outs that succeed. I think the best example is Collingwood losing their best goal kicker um, and then, you know, they announced the day before the game and still going out and kicking a winning score. We saw St Kilda were without um, Nick Dal Santo, their, co- their coach. Melbourne had to make five fourth changes and I think they had seven players unavailable in total. We're going to see players, I think, picked up as sort of supplementary players at some point. Like it's, it is going to be difficult, but it is going to be the teams that sort of ride the wave best. And, and unfortunately, the ones that are able to avoid their players getting sick, which easier said than done especially if they're if they're working and have to be in high-risk environments for work but it was interesting seeing I think it was Mixtinia effectively said that you just have to it's almost a one in one out you have to have players that are ready to not to cliche but play a role to know in and know come in and know exactly what they have to do I mean and the way I look at it as well is they might not necessarily do it to the same level. If they do an 8 out of 10 versus a 10 out of 10, but they're still doing what they have to do, then that's going to go a long way to, to succeeding. So it's a it's an unenviable position, I think, but it is going to be depth that comes to the fore. And, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more game postponements, cancellations, shuffling, shuffling around happen as the season progresses. But, yeah, unfortunately, it's like it's going to be something we have to deal with. I'm finding it very hard to do my tips until like the night before it starts because I just don't trust that the teams that we currently see, you know, will be the teams that play or even the fixture. I have full faith in my tips, guys. Do you want to know how I went this? No, I go. But we I all gonna got say round of tipping again, didn't we? We well, not not again for you two, just for me. But like <laughs> perfect round of tipping across the board for the pod. You'd love to see it. We, we, we do love do. to see it. It was good. We should mention Anna is currently fifth in the ESPN wide tipping, footy tipping competition. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was 12th. No, you're up to fifth. So well done to you. Um, But yeah, we we were literally talking about it before we started recording. Um, Marnie and I both didn't realize that um, with the changed fixtures, we forgot to put in a tip for Geelong Carlton, but the ESPN module means that if the away team wins, it's a default correct tip. So big thanks. Like to, big thanks to that. I would like yeah. to clarify that due to being very late with my tips, like I got them in a couple of hours before the bounce on Friday, I did actually tip Carlton <laughs> against Geelong because the games have been changed by then. So you just great times, classic hits. Bit of ground to make up, guys. Yeah, we're working on it, but I do love that you just need to reassert yourself as the dominant tipper in this here podcast but remember that if you do want to join in with us we will share some links and stuff and you can come have some fun do some tipping it'll be it's always good fun to be fair let's move over to the handy point the segment we introduced last week it's just a little tidbit but it's useful as a handy point is we wanted to talk about how round three is pride round and how it's really grown into, you know, it was, it started off as just the one game between the blues and the dogs and has now kind of become a comp wide thing. Lots of the teams are offering up their pride Guernseys. There's some stunners. We haven't seen all of them for some reason. West coast is not 
doing a pride Guernsey, which is a bit of a please explain situation, but there are some really, really beautiful, stunning designs there. I want to give a quick shout out to Carlton's. I think it's absolutely beautiful. They've made a real, uh, they've put a real focus on trans awareness. So there's a really beautiful design in the, the colours of the trans flag up the top of the Guernsey, which is really nice. I would have liked to have seen, or maybe I would have liked um, them to have taken the opportunity to highlight non-binary folks or the flag and maybe incorporate that into the design more prominently but I'm also thinking maybe they when they submitted this design Darcy hadn't come out yet but still it's a really beautiful Guernsey I know we haven't looked at all of them but Marnie any ones that are taking your fancy just before I do talk about the ones I like the most I did just want to highlight how much the AFLW with these pride rounds of really engaging with the community, the amount on social media of fans that have just seemed so excited to finally be able to purchase um, and to be able to see their club's pride Guernseys. It's really heartwarming. It's really special. It really does highlight the inclusiveness of this round and what it means in terms of representation and just in terms of celebration as well it's really great to see players just getting around this I know Frio when they brought theirs out today they said this is for the players this is for the fans but this is for the whole AFLW community and that's really special I haven't seen them all I do like Frio's it's not the most creative kind of just the V in the colors still love it we love it we also love a clean looking jersey easy to spot when you know you're looking from afar I really like the kangaroos one. I wish that I had more to say about the meaning behind it, but I've got to go do some reading because unlike you, I'm just like, um, it looks pretty. <laughs> really like the kangaroos one so far. Uh, Richmond, shout out to theirs. Um, stay tuned for when Sorry, I... Sorry, Marnie, you can't just name them all and leave them with <laughs> okay. to say. Like, um, I, I actually do agree with both of you for different reasons. I love the way both... Geelong and Fremantle have managed to work colours and Geelong have like, the trans flag up the top over the shoulders and then the pride flag in the hoops at, um, sort of across the chest, the lower chest. And it's, um, I really, I love you know, these where they work with the traditional jersey to make, it. There's, there's two types. I love ones where they do it really cleanly, like the Fremantle one I think is done beautifully. Like you've got that fantastic sort of chevron, why not? make the most of it when making a, a pride jersey and they think oh pride guernsey and they've done that really well same with Geelong with the hoops and um I know what I agree with what you said Ray Carlton's Marissa but I love that as sort of I think the other type of um special guernsey you can do is one that is almost like a, a piece of art or like something creative in its own right and I think that's what Carlton have historically done really well with these um these guernseys they've made them into something that you want to have that you would love to have, you know, so that you could put up on your wall. Apologies for the Matilda's kits come off the back of doing another pod. Um, also on ESPN, the Far Post pod. Um, but yeah, this it, the Carlton one, for example, is one that you could see people wanting to frame and have up on their wall. And it's almost like art in its own right. And I think that's fantastic. And like you say, Marnie, it's, it's what they're about that's the most important thing. And it's a it's a statement it's something visual it's something wonderful and welcoming and people love it and it's great to see all the clubs seemingly bar west coast make a point of getting involved when it's previously only been a handful of clubs and initially um 
the Bulldogs and Carlton having a pride game. So it's good to see that spreading wider because it clearly means so much to the players, the staff, the fans, and really everyone associated with AFLW who who knows what the competition and, and its roots and origins mean to so many, especially in, in this community. So, yeah, real just good stuff all around, you know. We like all of it. We like the pretty colours. We like what it means. It's all good stuff. And I will say, actually, with Carlton's ones, I'm pretty sure one of their first or second Guernseys was designed by Darcy Vessio because they do have the graphic design background. So they really do make them special and artistic and really, really lovely. So can't wait to see them out on the field. Here are some of the fixtures where they will be out on the field. Here are the round three fixtures. So we've got... According to the AFLW app, I don't know if things are going to change. I think we got stung last time we recorded. Where was the, there was the change after we pressed publish. So this is what the AFLW app says at the moment. We've got Geelong hosting the Pies. We've got the Eagles taking on the Crows. The Ds will face St Kilda. Richmond take on Frio. Uh, we've got a Q Clash. Gold Coast Suns taking on Brisbane Lions. Then we've got North and the Giants. And finally the Pride game, the the one that kick-started at all, the Bulldogs and Carlton. So what of those games are we kind of looking forward to, Marnie? I'm most looking forward to Richmond Dockers. I think both those teams are on the cusp of something really good. You could argue are already something pretty good. But, yeah, Richmond are really up and coming. They're showing a lot of strength, a lot of competitiveness. Freo had a cracker of a game on the weekend. I can't wait to see these two go head-to-head. And the other one for me is Suns versus Lions I think the Lions are going to be well that's if we know for sure that Lions are playing we don't Um, but just roll with it okay um the Lions they didn't get a win in round one they had a pretty sore defeat to Crows round two didn't get a game so they're going to be itching for a win I think they're going to be raring to go a lot of competitiveness and the Suns are looking really Nice. I mean, they had such a brilliant win. Hopefully that momentum can keep going. I don't know whether the Suns will get a win over the Lions, but they'll give it a good crack, and that's what we love to see. All right. I'm intrigued by if if it goes ahead, Bulldogs-Carlton, because you've got a couple of really great ball winners in Ellie Blackburn and Maddie Prasparkas going head-to-head. Um, and, yeah, well, that of course, that depends on how they pull up. Also, North Melbourne GWS kind of intrigues me because um, – GWS coming off a poor performance, North also coming off a loss, but both teams have shown glimpses, especially North, of what they can do. Um, and it feels like a game that's either going to go to the wire or North may thump GWS. Like, it depends which Giants show up, you know. So I'm uh, I'm intrigued by both of those games. But it's um, I think the big question mark for me on these games is how St Kilda go against Melbourne because they've had two games in a row where they've just conceded big runs of goals. I think it was nine in a row against Richmond, six against Collingwood. They didn't they didn't kick a goal in the first three quarters. And, you know, they've been happy with their intensity and yada, yada after quarter time. But I, I don't think they can afford to, to cop another significant beating. Like they, they managed to get a couple of goals late to make the score respectable against Collingwood, but they were very much outclassed. So... Yeah, it's um, and we know how good Melbourne are, so that's one where I've got a little bit of a warning alarm over it. Um, not that St Kilda are going to panic, but I think this is one where they need to make a mark early in the game and stick in the game, and they can't afford to cop a big streak of 
of goals again. So yeah, in bit of a bit of a flashpoint maybe for them. So there's a few games like that where I'm a little bit worried about how large the margin could become. So Collingwood Cats, if Collingwood keep on the role that they're kind of on, that could be large. It's the same with Crows West Coast. I know West Coast put up a really good fight against Gold Coast, but the Crows have looked really, really good in this opening in these opening two rounds. And then obviously, yeah, Melbourne, if they can kind of continue on their merry way, it might be a, a little bit of pain for the Saints. But that's enough from us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, we're at Footy Tips. You can join our comp and we will have all of the round three action ready for you next week. So thanks for tuning in and see ya. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.